0: Ein. and we are live hi and welcome to the podcast where we interview awesome makers and shine some light on the awesome people and their projects i'm your host jason tunison and i am here with special guest Wijnand Koereman. Koereman. koreman koreman senior yeah. animation tools programmer at guerrilla games how's yes. it going well
1: it's going great thank you thank you for uh, for the invite um yeah. no problem it's awesome. First time doing it, so it's going to be fun. It's your first podcast? First podcast ever. I'm ah. a. i am I like listening to podcasts, so it's so it's um, different subjects altogether. Uh, but it, it's always nice to have something in the background meddling mm-hmm. on, and if it becomes interesting, you can just pause your work for a minute, folks. that. <laughs> oh, that's that's a nice. I think just continue on. It's uh, it's nice. Yeah, well,
0: this is what we hope to create today for other people that are out uh, going for a run or a walk or working or whatever and they can pause it and listen to us uh, talk about what you do for a living and um, yeah, senior animation tools programmer at Guerrilla Games. What does that mean? What does it? What do you actually do? What does it look like?
1: What it looks like? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm typing a lot (laughs) uh, as a programmer, of course. Uh, But uh, my main task is to help animators uh, with specific requests tools to make their life easier, but also think about the pipeline so the data flow okay, animation is being made. how do we need to get that into into a game?
0: Yeah, because I think it's interesting like you have' um, it's, it's sort of like a meta kind of way of looking at it. like you have people that animate but no one really thinks about what tools do they use and then you're you're not creating the animations but you're creating the tools for animators to animate
1: we're, we're we're we are creating uh, tools to help the animators animate okay. because of course the application itself needs to needs to provide that um, and, and uh, so most cases uh, my experience so far it has been maya autodesk okay. maya uh, that we use uh, for the, the, the animators have been using uh, so you kind of need to live in that realm as well like what are the possibilities within the, the application uh, what are our uh possibilities outside of the application or what are our limitations uh and in that sense you you kind of need to find the right balance what does uh what does the application do for us and what do we need to do to make sure that the application exactly does what we want
0: okay so you, so you actually sort of like tweaking Maya to to help your own animators, or is that a way of looking at it? Or
1: uh, it's that's a good way of of uh, describing it. Uh, but tweaking uh, in a sense that it is its own entity. So every tool that we make does its own thing, yeah. but it all it's all using Maya in the background.
0: Yeah. So Maya is like the base, and then
1: you guys create
0: like is it like add-ons or.
1: Yeah, you, you can see it as, as add-ons. Uh, we, we describe it preferably, I describe it preferably as a tool. So you have a, the difference between um, uh, a tool and a program is that the program is really designed to do that specific thing. And a tool is just like you described as an add-on. You can yeah. use that tool within the realm of the program. So the, the add-on, in our case, is for animators too, for. Uh, um, be able to export their animations and see them in the game fast. Okay. Or,
0: uh... And that's that's just like the pipeline you were talking about. Like people animate and then they sort of export yep. it, and
1: and then then they can. Uh, then preferably, everything is set up in such a way that they can directly see their animation. Um, but engines are way bigger than than your regular animation pipeline. Your your film pipeline would be. Yeah. Uh, if you film pipeline, you make your animation, you export, that's it. That you you see what you're gonna get. Yeah. Um, but with with games, it, there's much more that comes into it. It's it's a way more complex box to work in.
0: Well, uh, yeah. So so like getting into this this podcast, I asked some friends, like, do you guys have some questions we can we can ask this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and one of the questions I got was, um, like you're saying with with animation what you see is is pretty much what you get like it's a 2d thing and i mean now you have 3d movies but it's a 2d animation you can you can hide a lot of um complex um stuff in a 2d animation and one of the questions i got was like how do you like do like walk animations on uneven terrain is that like a difficult thing or is that something that's just like in maya
1: or No, that's that's specifically in engine um from what i know how you you can do this in, in any uh, definitely recent engine. So let's say Unreal. If you yeah. can do it Unreal, you need to write your logic uh, in the engine. That doesn't have to be written by code. You most Nowadays, everything is note based So you have right. a notes which uh, with notes based system, you set up a rules for the animation or for, for the character. So you have your character walking forward, but the terrain slopes up this yeah. way. They say, okay if it goes up then you must angle the feet in this way and then you need must make the body lean forward okay so in that sense you're tweaking the animation yeah and that's everything happens live while you're yeah gaming.
0: exactly i think that's crazy like and then you have okay so like angled stuff walking up a hill okay you've solved that problem but then you have like walking up steps where it's like it's angled but also not really
1: this, this is uh I'm gonna break some hearts here i I know this for sure um, staircases are slopes in games we have bounding boxes which are <laughs> slopes and um, then you just make a step animation. you can you can do it multiple ways yeah. uh, the uh, most of it is a mix of step animations just you know someone's making actual steps see um, in this and then of, everything you forward and you you, you seen it very well in 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 a bit older games where you can have the, where a third person character walking up stairs and the and they, they they are sprinting up, yeah, five to six flights of stairs uh, per 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 step. Yeah, but that's that's just a combination of slopes and animation.
0: Yeah. No, I think I think stuff like that, like stuff you don't think about. Like another one is um, when you have a character in a game and and you're they're turning around. Like they still have to position their feet around, and then, like, all the games they just hit their feet on the ground and they would like hover in this weird circle. But that's now just all just in the engine.
1: Um, uh, most of it is, yes. So, uh, on that part, animation involves <clears throat> definitely nowadays with, with, with big games like Witcher and Horizon, uh, Mass Effect, like, like the big ones, yeah. Um, you're gonna have a mix You're gonna have a lot of small animations, and those animations are being morphed together into uh, behavior. Yeah. So that says, for example, if if a character is standing idle, it will switch weights to one leg to another. Uh, that's that's for example a combination of two animations yeah. that is being one behavior. So the moment you turn the character, they just. Have an X amount of uh, be, uh, small animations together, which mimic the behavior of your character. For example, stepping, doing left backwards, and then leaning a bit more on the right, so it looks like the character is actually turning yeah. to that that direction.
0: So there's like that this is, main animation, and you have all these small little modifiers that s- tweak that animation slightly depending yes. on whatever's happening. Yeah, that makes. So- the game has a rule book for for those things yeah and that that, the rule book is in in the engine that you're
1: using yes
0: yeah Uh, so so to like to get an idea you have okay so you make the tools that fit on your animation program which you guys use maya and then it's exported into a game engine and that's another computer program system yes and then that thing also has its own rules and has whatever yes. stuff in there to. to
1: That's, I mean, th- that one has the most rules of all. That's, yeah. um But of course, it's, it's lucky for for us that mathematics doesn't change. No. So <laughs> that if, if that would be the case, we would be having issues. There, there are issues, for example, with um, with orientation uh, in games. Uh, some programs. Uh, have orientation of uh, Y up, and some programs have orientation of Z up. So depending oh. on which one you use, you might need to do some video behind the uh, behind the scenes to make sure that everything is correct. <laughs> but not uh, but luckily, luckily that that happens very little because you can uh, Maya, for example, you can tweak your uh, your your up axis of the scene. So uh, that will interested. do everything for you. So we don't have to do that. But there are programs that does not allow you to do that.
0: It seems so like such a to- basic thing you could just put in your settings, like what is your up axis? This.
1: Luckily before. nowadays, all the all the big three D programs have it, yeah. uh, and I think it's it, Depending on if the engine is is uh, the engine you're using is made from one based off one package so let's say 3d studio max where z is up by default yep. and you then make an engine which fits that then everything else will need to adjust what comes later
0: <laughs> this sounds like a, a very tedious step for something that's so basic and this is just a basic like what is up like do you see other things in your industry that you're like that someone should have just made a uh, Best practice of what? What is this? Like, do you guys use centimeters, like in your game uh, Yes, you, yes, we
1: we do them. Um, no, we use meters. So, but we yeah. do use a metric system. Yeah. So, so that that's, um, and uh, does everyone
0: in, use the metric system?
1: Yes, luckily in, in in mathematics it's it's and in games it is games, uh, it's yeah. a metric system, but you can change. There are some engines that or or programs that actually allow you to use feet as well, so the imperial system, um, that is to make sure that that whoever is making it for, let's say, you make architecture, you remember architecture uh, modeling. Uh, So if you have that, if you have a floor plan and it's completely in, in inches, feet, and yards, and whatnot, then you want to have your program to use that.
0: Yeah.
1: But yeah, and they're, games...
0: they're like AutoCAD or,
1: uh, or that. Yeah, whatever. AutoCAD. But Maya, you can also set your... I'm not sure if you can actually change that. In I'm, Maya.
0: Not, I'm just thinking, like, I mean, it's impossible. But let's say, for instance, you get all the assets of every video game. You could put them all in one program, and you could just see, like, this dude's that tall, this guy's this tall, this monster from this game is this if, big. If
1: they're all made in the same... Uh, with with the same skill in mind, because that's yeah. also something. It, might, it it might be metric system that you use. There might be centimeters or meters. Yeah. Uh, but the for example, there are characters, and uh, which are two point two blocks high. And yeah. if you if you measure that into your program, then the block is not, then it's not uh two meters twenty for example. No, then it's one meters eighty. So there are some things that that have to do with uh this is the character and from yeah. this point on we design everything
0: okay so so instead of i mean that's how the world is though we are humans we create the world around us based on how tall we are
1: true yes and we create uh, a baseline and that's in holland that's whatever two meters doors doors are often two meters yes uh there are a case where like 220 <laughs> but that way by what was one 220 by 120 doors yeah you can, you can you have that nowadays. So there's more ac- uh, accessibility. Um, but I think the first instance of having everything fixed in size was uh, I think was it yeah was during the Soviet era, okay. where they just pumped out a lot of concrete buildings and yeah. everything had to be the exact same size, exact yeah. same measurements, and everything had the exact same measurements. So just yeah. this is what we're going to do. So, that will be the ratio of, of, of everything.
0: It does make stuff easier if everyone has s- the same set of rules and guidelines, um, especially when you're trying to mass produce stuff and, and all of that. So, is that something that you guys sort of look into when, when creating these these game worlds, or is that sort of just slightly outside of your knowledge?
1: I mean, I, I think in gen- the general system that, that's being taken, I'm now going to talk about what I know, not what yeah, I've yeah, experienced. Yeah. So it's I, I'm not part of the, the world building, but what I would assume to happen um, <laughs> is that you just take your average character and then build everything from there. So, But there are a lot of, things which you which you can say okay as we need to adjust the size of this so let's say your characters by default or the smallest character you have is two meters tall yeah if you would put a uh, regular size human next to it would be a bit bigger so if that's going to be your default size then you need to scale everything up of course (laughs) um so I I I'm assuming that from from that design point of view, you just take your hero character and then do everything else.
0: From, and from if that way. hero
1: characters is in the bounds of human, uh, of our current human state, yeah. then we would they just assume that everything is the same as what we know.
0: So let's say you create this hero character is two meters. Why don't you just scale them down a little bit to, to one
1: eighty or whatever. Or is it difficult? Well, everything like... Well, that's not difficult. That's not difficult. Um, But if the character is going to be two meters tall, that's what we design it as. And if you then, let's say you then have a regular human in the scene and someone makes a regular human without having any other context of of where it has to be, then suddenly the character is closer to the regular human instead of being two meters tall. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's so so weird because you sort of start thinking about designing worlds and, and all the stuff you have to take into account whereas when you're like shooting a movie or stuff maybe you don't have to or and it sort of depends on the game like I know first person shooters used to have the gun like str- like coming out of your belly button Best, sort of Yes. <laughs> and then at some point they were like nah this is weird we're going to change this and they have, yeah, they have all these weird things where if you hold the gun in a first-person shooter, it's like weird under your chin, like really uncomfortable now. Um, but it's all about the perception of, of the video game.
1: Uh, it's it's about immersion. If you don't give the the character the, the the player the feeling that they have that gun in their hand, yeah. or uh, if it breaks the immersion that like your your gun is lower so you don't see it. Yeah, uh, I mean that still happens. If you run, for example, if you go running in Call of Duty, your gun will uh, go out of sight. Yeah, you will be. Um, yeah, it's the small tweaks happen every generation of games, or every big game yeah. suddenly makes a minor tweak. let say, oh, that makes so much sense to do, yeah. and then other people copy it, and then it gets the new standard until the next thing comes. Yeah. So, so do you see that with animation as well?
0: Um, like, what's the biggest innovation in
1: animation in the
0: last? What was it like five years?
1: The biggest innovation, I think, the biggest innovation is having um, AI or not specifically, I uh, neural networks, for example, help yeah. design or, or create easy animations. So you just have a couple of poses and you, you run your uh, your program. And out of it comes this naturally flowing character walking and walk animation, and then you can just use it. So in that sense, that can that often is used in, for example, uh, crowd simulations. Okay. So you have one, you have one, or you have a couple of characters, for example, or one. If you want to do very simple, you have one <laughs> character. Then you do uh, the generation of. Uh, Of the animation, and then you say, Okay, now spawn an X amount of characters with the exact same animation, just go forward and see see what happens. That's for that's a crowd simulation that's being done with neural networks. And that's like pre compiled, or is that real time? That's the result you get is uh, pre compiled. You have runtime things as well. I'm not entirely sure if that's neural network, but it's definitely. Computer generated, yeah, because neural network constantly learns from its previous yeah. uh, iteration.
0: Yeah, so, so have you guys been using a lot of AI in
1: in your work, or is that also I, like I, I know in general that that games industry is going more forward, of, more forward using AI. Yeah. Uh, I cannot discuss that specifically no, with okay. our, uh, within my company. Our company, I have to say, sorry, <laughs> our company. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, for example, one of the things that I've seen happen, uh, actually right in front of my eyes, was during university, was one of my uh, uh, schoolmates, uh, Frick. He um, he was busy learning Houdini, and it was his graduation project was to create a snow Boards track in Houdini yeah. for a game. So what's so completely- Houdini? okay. Houdini uh, is just like by a, a 3D program. Okay, yeah. But it's it functions completely on the basis of um, no, it proceduralism. So you have a, an, an X amount of notes together, which form rules, and you just change those rules, and that based on what happens, your program will procedurally run through it and execute it on the fly. Uh, it can get really, really heavy. So you need to have decent computer to actually run it. Uh, if you're going to do, for example, uh, f- visual effects, for example, yeah. or you create large landscapes, but Houdini now has become the staple in creating worlds as well, in c- creating environments because we don 't have to be tedious about oh yeah, where are we going to place the the the, the trees you just have a, have a have a have a have a brush somewhere or a or a curve that put on and then say okay here I want my trees to be scattered and then it scatters it and then you can change the change the parameters of that specific node that should scatter the trees and then it scatters it in a slightly different way until you' are happy with it
0: that 's crazy
1: it is ridiculous how it's, it's that program is something I, I got to use as well during university, but it's a bit over my head too, actually. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it just seems like, okay, I'll, I'll optimize this little thing here and I'll optimize this little thing here. And then someone else is doing also all these tiny optimizations. And then at the end of the day, you put the, everything together and you get these huge, immense creative worlds that wouldn't be possible to do by hand and you just have all these like you were saying with with crowd animations and now you're saying like with with how you create worlds and trees like if you were to do that by hand that would take you just
1: oh yeah i don't don't even want to think about (laughs) it Uh, oh man i i i we uh, let me see what when we were that was 2004 to 2009 something like that when we were 10 years ago long long time ago yeah. yeah uh that was when we were introduced into to maya for example and uh, 3ds max and that was we didn't know a lot of the the program of course so we we didn't know about all its possibilities but from what i've seen happen and grow it's ridiculous how that how that went from oh yeah that you need to really know and code stuff yeah. like that altogether. nowadays it's just like you put a couple of notes together you you pull a mesh in, you connect it to the scatter node, and a puff, there you have it like a, yeah. a cloud of trees or a cloud of boxes. <laughs> and then, I mean, it's it's you make it sound so easy. <laughs> it that, to be honest, that's that's the weird thing. It has become very easy in 3D to do such things. So that's that's a progress that has happened, uh, not just in in game development but in general in in 3D world. Yeah. Because 3D nowadays is not, not just only used for games. It's, it's used for commercials. It's used for uh, 3D printing. People yeah, can I mean, print uh,
0: everything. I, I just got a new phone and it has a LiDAR scanner on it. So you could like use that to scan an object in and then 3D print it and someone else could like download it and use it in a video game or whatever. And it's like this technology. Like Sometimes I just... Take a breath and take a look back at like twenty years ago. I was a little kid and I was like playing my little video games. It's like one day this is going to be so immersive, and now I'm I'm in my my VR and it's just like I'm there. And like and and this is only twenty years, and like twenty years later, like my kids are going to be like, "Whoa, I can't believe you you played that." that." (laughs) Yeah, why does it look like paper folding? I'm like playing super hot and I'm like it's so immersive and I know they're like but it's only red characters why isn't it like real people with whatever and it's just like it's crazy it's just exponentially growing and and you're on the forefront I think that's so cool that like you're you're making this
1: happen and like it is it's 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 weird to think about Uh, definitely (laughs) what because it's my day-to-day job nowadays to just you know make tools, I don't know, improve tools, help people with, with what they do with the 3D animation. Um, something I've been doing now, let me see, uh, for five years. Yeah, I've been doing this for five years now, uh, not specifically at Gorilla. I've, I've done other things before this, um, but it's similar capacity. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, like I've, I've, I've s- made my way into a position that's literally on the forefront and you see other people do amazing things or like I I will need, I will need a couple of months to read up on this, like to actually know how the structure works uh, before I could even attempt it.
0: Yeah. So, so how do you do that? How do you keep up with the, the trends? Because so you work at, at Guerrilla Games. Um, you guys all sworn to secrecy but there's a couple of other huge game studios. I'm guessing they are all sworn to secrecy about, like how yes. do you innovate? Because it takes, like how long does it take to make a game? Like five years, three years?
1: For, for a big game, definitely f- f- five years. But yeah, let's just, say f- l- just looking at, at uh, for example, Cyberpunk 2077, Yeah, that game has been in development for, I think now, start, the concept I think started roughly in 2007 yeah it was when it originated the, the ideas came into being but they were still working on the witcher back yeah. then because i got the witcher in my year of graduation which are 3 in the year of graduation which was 2015 and so so let's let's just let's say you start in 2010 which are would actually yeah. like dabbing a bit into like how should this look like and then it's they are releasing it in this december that's a 10 that that would be 10 years of development but not 10 years of full team development as well because that's it's also one of those uh but like things like
0: let's say let's say i want to make a game and i want to bring it out in five years so everything i know now i can put in the game but let's say over two years a new game comes out then i'm like well i want to get their standard and you have these games that are working um like not like in their own bubble but then when they release they're as good as each other like you know what i'm trying to say
1: (laughs) yes i i think it's also striving for for perfection in a way and depending on what you use because that's also unreal has been a major major game changer and uh uh, in the gaming industry they have put out it's a very stable reliable engine uh, you can get if you want to know something you go to their forums and there's there is an article about it often by themselves made by themselves. Okay. this is how you do exactly that yeah. and then you follow it in the works so um, they have been so if you use a real for example you can find almost all the information on their forums so on there you can find that information how do i need to do this and to, to make it look like something uh, very nice, you just need to know how to make sure that your models look nice, or your textures look nice, your shaders. But once it works in Unreal, there, you can just start optimizing things. And as long as it looks nice, it will render nice as well. Yeah. And updating textures is easy. Just It just needs to be the shaders that also <laughs> needs to be properly adjusted. And then you can make something very nice. One of the companies that I think makes the that's there okay There are two companies which are known for their ridiculous animations, cutscenes mostly, is uh, Blizzard yeah. and Square Enix. Yeah. Those two have pushed the boundaries on what's like like how do you render something and how but does it look like
0: cutscenes like just full CGI?
1: They they are it doesn't matter though. like animation is animation animation is animation but still like how to how to make an impact with with everything because it's (laughs) not just it's not just the animation it's also the um the lighting and stuff like that they can set a mood with just one with a couple of frames they can set a mood for the entire trailer
0: yeah so i'm not sure if you know this but does does blizzard do all the animations there themselves
1: I know that it's one of their pinnacles that they, they are known for having an insane insanely good animation team. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure nowadays. Okay. It's uh, there's a lot of things that that have been outsourced. I yep. don't think that I, I I don't think that the animations themselves necessarily uh might be made in uh in the studio themselves, they may, maybe they outsource the animation to to another yeah. animation studio. Wouldn't surprise me if there's a division at Disney somewhere that just does it. Um, but they have, of course, just a very good uh, director art, for us. Yeah,
0: really good art direction as well. And yeah,
1: I- good art direction. That's important. If you have good art, art direction, you have a clear uh, uh, way of communicating with your outsource partner, yeah. then you should get out on top of things. Yeah.
0: I always think when I see those cutscenes, like, they should make a movie. Blizzard should make a Warcraft movie.
1: I mean, they did. <laughs> they they made World of Warcraft. I'm not sure if they, they actually um, did the animation themselves. I uh, feel like that whole part Warcraft, was live action.
0: That whole live action Warcraft movie was not what I expected it would be.
1: <laughs> it <was> yeah.
0: Like- <laughs> understandable (laughs) like i've been playing warcraft games since i was 13 it's like every time i see a cutscene like i want a one hour version of this like is there a big difference between creating a trailer and creating a movie like this might be a bit
1: out of your realm but well actually it's not out of my realm um i think the only difference within a trailer and a movie is that you need to get the person the people excited watching the trailer yeah you need to make sure that oh I want to see this movie and in a movie this is this is the most difficult part for if you make a trailer for a movie is that you needs to be able to hype people up, but the movie should also not be disappointing disappointment yeah. which happens eighty percent of the time. And yep. that's with definitely with with movies. Movies nowadays, it's just like hype, 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 and then you go watch it. That was predictable. Why was the hype there? So that's. But it became predictable because you have seen three minutes of movie, which highlights all the important things. That's, uh, and then I think the art of trailer making has kind of left. Yeah. Like where where are they? The one like, for example, one of the movies that I have never seen a trailer for, uh, but I have seen it as I was a kid, which was ridiculously good. And I've, I should re-watch it to see if it actually aged very well. I do think it did. Is the game? It's with uh, Michael Douglas. Okay. And uh, Val Kilmer, but that was a solid good movie. It it had me on the on the tip of my seat for the enti- entire duration. And of did the movie. that movie come out? Oof, let's let me go quickly. Because uh, while you're googling, I'm gonna tell
0: tell you my theory. My theory yeah. is that the golden age of movies was from uh, around 98 to 2005, and that's where we had all the good movies. It's uh, 1997. Oh, 97. Oh, it's, it might be from 97 to 2005 then. But that's where all the, the great movies of that I think are the greatest movies are
1: in there. I mean, it's also been an era where we kind of started to, to <laughs> watch more, more movies. <laughs> <laughs> Is that my nostalgia or something? I've, it might be, but to be honest, uh, the, uh, the, let me let me see. Uh, the Matrix was also in 1999. Yeah, but even comedies like Ali G,
0: I think it's like 2002 or something. There's like all these great movies
1: 2000 uh, oh, no, I'm going to make Ali a 2000. Yeah. Oh, 2000 Oh first appearance is 1998 Oh look at that this Ali G his,
0: his first appearance Yeah but the movie is way I think this movie is better than the, the Other stuff that he did the character. I, know, I just feel that Ali G the movie it Embodies the, the end of the, the 90s so well la in the house it was 2002 yes yeah uh, interesting um but yeah back to to what you do um we've got some more more good questions in here um yes shoot yeah so i think the questions like the question that i, I always think about is like how Um, how do I say this? Like, if you're a guitar maker, do you need to play guitar to be a good guitar maker? And do you need to be a good animator to make good animation tools?
1: Well, for both, I think the answer is it definitely helps. In my defense, I am, I am not a solid animator of any sort. But then again, I've been making tools for five years, which which are cross disciplinary. So. I've made tools for lighting setups, and, and uh, I've made tools for uh, yeti, which is a plugin for for Maya to for Fur Heron Fur. Um, I have made tools for set dressing. Um, How does Heron made... Fur work with animation? Like, is that just oh, or um, generated? Well, or? it's a, it's a plugin. So, in that <laughs> sense, what what happens is uh, the plugin has. You have a character which you have a mesh, and on that you define where you want the hair to be. Yeah. And but you don't often you don't really paint it directly on. Nowadays you paint a mask of where you want it to be, and then you yeah. create guides, which will help you help the program guide the the, okay, the, the hair. Okay, understand. The hair will yeah will how will curl, how the flow, um, and then you can. You can render it lifetime, uh, life in your viewport. And then you can also clip it a bit to make sure, like, you can comb it. You, uh, again, then you can have, they get this kind of node space setup up with the rule system again, uh, where it's like, okay, I want it to have this amount of gravity. And I want to, the yeah. um, hairs to so curl, like be physics, more curly. Physics also, England physics. Is, on that, uh, yes, that's also. Um, and then you have your animation. Your animation is is independent of your hair, or your hair is independent of your animation. It's just uh, attached to it. And then the animation goes, and then the hair will just simulate with physics. Like, okay, this is how the strands should go, uh, like a wave because the character is running. And then during render time, it will actually generate all the hairs for that specific frame and render it out.
0: So do you like program how the hairs flow? Like, do you have to do no. no, at
1: least... No, you don't have to program it. It's, it's a visual uh, thing that happens. So an artist is busy with with uh, with a texture map to really say ex- exactly where the hair should be. Yeah. Um, but like
0: if, if they're like head banging or whatever, like, and that hair is bouncing around, how do you make it bounce around and not be like static?
1: Uh, well, then you turn on your... The, the, the physics checkbox in, in the hair plugin. So the plugin allows that to do it. Uh, if there are any people who are interested in actually looking at this fi- these type of things, uh, I have worked with a plugin which is 80 and that is from what I can recall it is available for Maya uh, 3ds Max and Cinema 4D. I might also if you need to go to the web, to their website to actually yeah. look up what they all support. But that's that is a big uh, plugin that's being used in industry as well for f- films.
0: Yeah, because I think a lot of stuff is been done with plugins and um, and other like simulation stuff. Like if if you look at um, water simulation, like that's getting crazy now as well. Like I was u- watching a YouTube video not too long ago about AI trying to simulate real time like water physics, and I was like. I wouldn't want to animate water by hand. And now you just say, look, I'm just gonna chuck some water in here and it's gonna bounce around, it's gonna do its thing. But somehow someone does need to program how water reacts.
1: Not uh, Yes or, and no. Luckily we already know these type of things because <clears throat> science, um, <laughs> We uh, it is true. Someone <laughs> actually, there's an index, there's an index of, uh, of, of the, the properties properties of water okay. that includes uh, uh how it's surface tension for example you make it
0: sound so easy like oh, i'm just gonna make a water engine i'm just gonna google some water science and put the f- the, the, the but
1: like, there are people way smarter than me that actually know how to do, set these things up but the core is still very simple there's an index it's somewhat, there are people who came up with a consensus to say this is how we are going to <laughs> right. apply these, in, uh, these, these values to make a difference between water and alcohol, for example. So, so you have those two yeah. different liquids and they react different. So with based thickness on or... yes, thickness, surface tension, yeah. uh, uh, stuff like that. And there's a program who actually knows how to work with physics. So then the only thing he has you know okay this is this amount of this has these type of properties yeah these are the settings uh, of the liquid these are the guy. settings of things and then there's a then he can build his program completely based on those on those values yeah Of course other things also come into play like uh, uh, gravity stuff yeah. like that the the surface on which the water for example should be in if it's yeah. a smooth cup or if it's a rugged
0: yeah. uh, well I, was, I saw this documentary 15 years ago whenever Finding Nemo came out and they did like a rendered test and they were working on how water refracts when it's in a fish tank and when you go around the corner you can see the fish from both sides and someone was saying that it took them like three years to like perfect that and
1: yeah, Disney, Disney does those things because yeah. they, uh, another fun fact was not about finding Nemo but fa- founding, finding Dory. Is you have the, you have that octopus character in there.
0: Yeah, it's good animation,
1: super good animation. There's a guy that actually spent two years of his life on reinventing uh, an IK system. So to a really what? make sure, what kind of system? So an IK, which is inverse kinematics. Okay. Uh, What that does, so if you have your arm, you have a controller on your wrist, and you have a, uh, let's say, a, a string attached to your elbow. And you can move your wrist around in any direction, but in the direction where your string is pulling, your elbow will be positioned. Yeah. But that's how it works. So you move one part, and the other part depicts how the uh, arm can be angled. Yeah. Um, but that specific system is also used, for example, for uh, you can use for spines to really make sure that you move in parts independently of each other. Yeah, the so they all spine. connect. So this you're... is
0: like a bone system where if you move one bit, a bone system, yes. then everything else moves around. And he spent two years like reverse engineering or creating a,
1: creating a new version of that uh, inverse kinematic system because what that does uh, what it allowed them is to really get that um, get that octopus walk
0: yeah
1: going because if you're going to look for a, how do octopus walk it's there there are no real bones in those things like it's no. really it's its own system it really has its own way of moving and so they spent two years on inventing something that does exactly that to make it look believable. Yeah. To make it easy to animate as well.
0: Well I think it's another thing with like Pixar is you you could animate how octopuses actual actually walk. You could maybe even get AI now and take a look at that and say, look, animate this. But it's a Pixar movie. Everything's slightly over exaggerated. It needs to convey that that feeling of like this is how It feels like he should walk. Like, is that something you run into as well? Like, it might like realism isn't always like you're sort of aiming for hyper realism. uh,
1: um, (laughs) Yeah. If you're if you're aiming for hyper realism, it's easy to spot mistakes. Yeah. And and if you have things like with what Pixar does it's it's make it look realistic but slightly exaggerated just like you said it's um and that that makes it that sells it as well yeah hyper realism at one point I recall that was the thing to chase in games and animation and rendering like hyper realism to really make a picture nowadays looks ridiculously like like paintings almost um You make a character look as good as possible. Yeah.
0: Well, I was reading something about, like, if it's too realistic, it looks fake because people are so used to seeing, like, Photoshopped images, everything with brightness pumped up, all these, like, fake images. And then if you create something that actually does look real, then people are like, no, this looks fake.
1: There will always be that one aspect of it that will that will people will recognize that that's not real. Yeah. People are really keen into or not keen we're really good at seeing fake from real. Yeah. There will be of course is one point where you show an image to everyone regardless of if, if they work in in a uh computer science uh, yeah uh <clears throat> company or not that will say this is going to be real. And someone says, no, this is a render for my computer. Yeah. That will, that it's, it's moment. Really... It's, yeah, you already have those.
0: Yeah. Now I want to do an experiment. I'm going to do an experiment where I get two photos, two real photos, and then I Photoshop one and I won't Photoshop the other. And then I'll ask people like, which of these two is a render? <laughs> and then see if people choose the the Photoshop one as real or as, as fake. Because I think that That's, people are so used to seeing manipulated images that if they see these flat under lighted images that they will think "Now this looks
1: fake. I, I, I don't know. Um, might be. Uh, luckily, we're not all Instagram models, so we don't always have the perfect lighting <laughs> available. So that <laughs> um, This is why it's an audio podcast. Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> ha- oh, thank God. Um, now the um, uh, a lot of people. I mean, you probably have it as well on your social media. You know, the pictures of your friends, just a snapshot of a moment that's mm. not perfectly lit, that's not perfectly in frame, but you still know that it's real. Yeah, and that makes a difference. Like, how perfectly lit is it? Because you can over. Uh, engineer your lighting as well definitely i mean that's why photographers need to learn about lighting as well like how good is the lighting are you over exaggerating or are you over engineering what's what's going on yeah well my my second guest mark
0: david mark Mark david he's a photographer and i was talking to him about this and he said like i'm a photographer but actually i'm a, a light engineer like um, it's more about how I position the lights and all of that. And then actually like pressing the button on the camera is like a very small part of what a photographer actually does. So I think it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that as yeah. well. Cool. Uh... Yeah. Okay. Um, I've also got another question related to, to what you do. Um, Yeah. I, I'm not sure how much you can tell about this, but like how does motion capture influence like, creating animations
1: oh I can I can talk about this there's no no issue um, okay. I think the motion capture definitely helps there, there's there's no going around it definitely helps uh, depending on how good the motion capture is you have less work of cleaning up because what happens when you have motion capture is you you literally you have a uh, every movement is is keyed yeah. every every on every bone of the rig. So you need to clean that up as well. Why do you need uh, to clean it up? Well you don't have to uh but there are always or there are always there will always be some points of that you need to tweak and uh, kind of repair. Um, that's where you have <laughs> Joints which were hidden out of sight of from the cameras, for okay, example, so like that they don't glitches. capture it's yeah. A small glitch, so the rotation is incorrect, or yeah. you get you get reversed animation at one point because yeah. the joint was slightly uh, was incorrectly captured. Um, that's definitely helps, but another f- big issue with motion capture is uh, our feet, feet yeah. and hands. There's now one company that, that made the first uh, motion capture gloves, like like the, the they sell it as as that. Um, is it the the Manus in uh, Eindhoven? I'm not sure.
0: There is a Dutch company that does that. I should get them on the podcast. That's cool. Uh, they have some like really interesting like suits and gloves and. You're quickly googling it.
1: Oh yeah, I'm, oh yeah, that might be it. I'm uh, Prime One Gloves. That looks really cool. Yes, uh, they might be it. I do not know. But uh, you follow
0: them on LinkedIn because they have all these really fun little movies of them playing around with motion capture suits.
1: <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, so you have you have those kind of things. Those things are also going for. But right now, uh, if you're not as uh, as rich to buy those things because I'm assuming they will not come cheap if they are one of the very few to make it. Yeah. Um, it's You will need to do some cleanup on animation because it's not perfect for to reuse directly after it. So, so that's that's part of motion capture that still needs a, a bit of pinch. Um, but that's, that will go away with time, I guess. Um, what it's good for, for what would it be bad for? That would also be interesting. I guess if, you, yeah, motion capture is really strict as in it really captures people or yeah. objects. So you cannot avoid anything. You cannot say, I don't want you to walk. I want you to walk on realistically. That's almost impossible to capture <laughs> right. So yes, you can walk like an idiot around and that's being captured and yeah. then you still get the the, the f- real world physics that act on it. Yeah. So then you will need to clean up and move out of the animation, then polish it. That's one way to do it. If you take an animation, then use the the good parts, and then you exaggerate movements. That's also yeah. one thing you can do.
0: Well, that's what you also see with motion capture. I never understand how this works, but like, didn't they do Shrek with like motion capture, whereas his body is completely unrealistic?
1: Yes. Um, well, that this is the cool part about motion capture things. So, what you can do with motion capture is you you have your your person doing all the animations or uh, yeah. yeah acting actually So yeah. acting, like acting everything out. And what you can do in three D is you can retarget all those dots which are mm-hmm. on the body because you have specific identifiers <laughs> for shoulders, elbows, wrists, knees, all those sort of. And that will you can retarget it to a skeleton, and if it's done properly, it doesn't matter how large the skeleton is or what his proportions are. The animation will be matched to that skeleton. Uh, you, in the end, will still need to do some cleanup. Definitely, if it's in a character which has different proportions, of yeah. length of arms, uh, but there are ways around it. Uh, that's where Motion Builder, for example, is re- really good at. It allows you to do those kind of things, to have a regular person or any person act something out and then put it onto a character who doesn't even match anatomically with yeah. that other, other person.
0: Yeah, I think that's And have you ever, like, do you know of any instances where they've motion captured, like, animals and stuff? Didn't they do that with The yes, Last of they, Us? Yes, they,
1: they uh, probably did. And also know that they did it with uh, they did it with Lord of the Rings as well. Okay. In motion captured, I think a horse for specific movement. Okay. For for run and strut, stuff like that, and I think they used it in. um, Don't quote me on this. (laughs) I think they they used this in uh, Helms Deep. Okay. And then the, the... the last charge of Helms Deep.
0: Is that the? In the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, yes. yes.
1: So that's the two towers. Okay. What do we, that's the? So uh, the the last battle at Helm's Deep when uh, the Royal Harem stride down to, to come to it to. uh it was like the ghost?
0: Is. The ghost. Uh...
1: That's in the third one. Okay. That's his, that's in the Return of the King. It's where they where they charge uh, Minas Tirith.
0: Uh, you're way into. We're more into your Lord of the Rings knowledge than me. <laughs> You you have been to New Zealand? Yeah, that's true. A couple of times. I grew up there, so but yeah, been yeah, yeah. back there a couple of times. But next time I'm there, I'll I'll definitely ask around and see if uh, if anyone else knows this in depth knowledge. or if, uh, uh,
1: there are there are some some good YouTube channels that actually go very in in depth into like how things have been made. Yeah. and I know that Laura Ferenc has a very big back catalog of uh, behind the scene footage. Yeah.
0: And they, they I think it was all done by a Weta Weta workshop.
1: Weta, yes.
0: Which is I mean one of the biggest best CGI yes. uh, workshops. Oh, they, yeah.
1: And not CGI. just CGI, they also make props, they also make uh, make the, the stages, they make the, the bows, the sources, the everything. Yeah. They really it's uh, And they do art. I, follow them, as well. on I follow them on Instagram. And they they post these things like uh, their sword. They actually have a sword master, okay. a, a master smith, work there. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, art direction. I'm uh, might be uh, maybe with the Hobbit. I'm not sure if they had that. I think art They direction also do in... like
0: video game art direction. Can be. Or maybe this is just someone that happens to work there that did something in there.
1: The well, it might be interesting industry. to uh, to look up. Uh, yeah.
0: Oh. Also, I should get someone from where I Workshop on the podcast. I'll uh, ask around. I'm sure there's someone that knows someone. Cool. So, like, grounding off this podcast, like, who is someone or something that, that you find inspirational that you get a lot of inspiration from?
1: That's, that's a very difficult question <laughs> because it completely depends on the subject. There are multiple people that I find inspirational. Um, even friends. Of my, which I find inspirational, because they, uh, the, the way they move themselves forward through life, of things like, or they really have found their their base and they really go all at it. That's something I find inspirational. And it does. You don't have to be an Elon Musk to, to to, uh, be an inspiration. Uh, Elon Musk, of course, he's a cool guy. Uh, he's, but he's definitely not my inspiration. Um, who I need to be or oh, what is difficult. Um, I think if it's going to be, okay, I'm going to pick music because that's a bit easier for me uh, to pinpoint who I find inspirational. Um, for music, it is, uh, there are two people. One is Randy Blythe. He's the singer of Lamb of God. Um, I read his uh, biography, uh, "The uh, Dark Days. I think it's called, and he, I really got respect for the man he is uh he went from a life almost down in the gutters to a life being like i'm here i'm enjoying this i'm, I'm doing great he does what he likes the other person is um devin townsend he is a singer guitar guitar your singer guitarist composer he does everything himself and he recently re- he is, was working on four albums at the same time and all of them are his offspring creation thing it's uh, so, so go check out so we should go check out lamb of god and what was the other the second guy devin townsend the first guy is randy blythe yeah, um, from Lamb of God, uh, specifically him. Of course, I like the band as well, but um, his. Oh, he also
0: has solo stuff, or.
1: Oh no! Just just his just yes, his s- 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 solo work and him in general. Just the okay. the, pe- the person he is. You see in interviews, he really is. It's, that's that's cool. Um Devin Townsend, that's okay. for sure.
0: Yeah, no, I'll I'll check them out. I always think it's cool when when people can recommend uh, some inspirational people uh, to me. And then um another bit of the podcast where we always ask if you can recommend two people for me to get in touch with.
1: Uh yes, I can I can recommend definitely one. We I briefly skimmed upon this one. I'm gonna quickly make sure that that I have the name correct. Um Hoekstra. Uh, he is uh I think he's now in Vancouver. I'm not sure. I'll need to quickly check this. I went to school with him. Uh, he was uh, one year above me, I think. Uh, okay, he currently works at Apple, or maybe not even anymore. Um, but he, he's the guy that, that did Houdini stuff. He made okay, a yeah. uh, level from uh, in Houdini for snowboarding. Uh, and he is now... Uh, He posts interesting stuff about his work or the type of work he does, uh, computer things. Uh, He's a a very interesting guy to talk to. He knows a lot. Um, So he will definitely be a good character for a good person to have on a podcast. Uh, The second one. Hmm.
0: If you don't know any, then that's also okay.
1: Uh, it's, it might be something that um, you, you, mo- you might. I'm not sure if this is the right time to actually reach out for, to them. But to, it's a co- she's a colleague of mine. Uh, now I definitely need to get her name correct. Pinar Demis. I'm probably butchering her last name. She is a senior sound designer at Gorilla Games. And that's that's that's, some, that, that's a topic you rarely hear anything about.
0: No, I think that's super interesting. I was listening to someone talking about sound design, and they say it's if you do it well, you don't notice it. And it's one of those things where if it's if it's done poorly or it's taken away, you're like, oh, the sound design's off. But if it's done perfectly, you don't notice it. And I always like when stuff is like that. That's just, that's that's. I hear that
1: very often. Yeah, it's. Um, Sound design, definitely if you talk about movies, everyone here knows one scream, the Wilhelm scream. Yeah. Everyone knows that. it's, um, And that started off as, as a like funny thing. It came its own meme, but everyone recognizes it. So in that sense, but that's the only thing you can recognize. as yeah. like, oh, that's specifically sound design thing yeah but so that's strange like, you know, of, of course you maybe you you recognize some stock sounds from a sword releasing from its uh, scabbard which yeah. doesn't happen but the specific joke, whoosh <laughs> <laughs> that sound <laughs> uh yeah but yeah i um i think sound design would be a cool thing to hear a bit yeah. more about yeah
0: no i'll definitely get in touch and then uh, hopefully we can get a sound designer on the podcast yeah, and then the last, well, the very, very last question of this podcast. I yes. think this is becoming my one of my favorite questions. Is what can you recommend for listeners to to do, see, taste? What have Ooh. you been up to?
1: What What have What I've been up to? Well, what I've, have I've you been enjoying. Out. What I've been enjoying. Um, well, I've been experimenting more with food. So, so that's definitely something you need to. Everyone should try more. Experiment more with food. Pick pick a recipe that, that that looks good, that looks like oh I want to taste this and then, then go forward with that. That's something I definitely recommend. The other thing is just do something that's not glued to screen. <laughs> I think nowadays everyone is glued to screen. Do not glue yourself to a screen for an entire day. Um, well, that said, I do enjoy those times as well, where I just sit on the couch, play a video game. Um, but yeah, uh, go cycling. Go go do something something outdoors or go for a walk to go uh, pick up that, that lost art project that's that's looking at you from the corner of your living room.
0: Yeah. I think it's fun that you say, like, go, go food. Taste some food. Experiment with food. Um. My previous podcast guest Juan von Emmerlud, he recommended that we try that everyone should try make uh, the Jamie Oliver's risotto. So uh, oh, just I it. haven't done yet. Definitely it's supposed to be pretty put good.
1: Down Jamie Oliver yeah, risotto. His risotto is
0: supposed to be pretty good.
1: If you do it correct, that is.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, and uh, my my uh, recommendation. Um, my recommendation is going to be the opposite of yours: is get behind a screen more.
1: Um, but that um, for no. games or for entertainment, because it's <laughs> no, it's what is it purely for entertainment or is it to do more, no, more no. creative my, my, stuff?
0: My recommendation is um, when you're out and about and not behind a screen, make more pictures of nature. Um, I had a, a friend of mine; he went out for a bicycle ride in, in New Zealand, and I said, you know what? take some pictures of, of your neighborhood and send them to me and then you sort of get a idea of what everyone out of like how they see the world and i find that fascinating and now that's
1: cool yeah yeah
0: yeah there's this um i think it's like a 30 day photo what do you call it like a thing that you have to try and do challenge 40 day photo oh, challenge yeah, f- or whatever
1: 30 day fo- of course it's 30 days 30 day photo everyone challenge has time.
0: Yeah, so you just do that in one day. You just go
1: out to the, the uh, forest or take whatever. 500 pictures.
0: Yeah, just do it. There's like one where it's like try to get a silhouette. One is uh, make something in black and white photo. Oh one yeah, is, this,
1: so so it's kind of a spin-off from from uh, uh Inktober like Yeah, uh, something like that. Team drawing's, team, team paintings.
0: Yeah. And I think that's cool. It's like you you force yourself to be in the moment somehow. Like even if it's behind the screen trying to make a photo but it does force you to look at like what why am i here what am i doing like it'd be cool if you can like make mental pictures instead of actual photos but if you're out there and everyone's got a good camera in
1: their their pocket or just 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 pick up your your old uh your old camera with a roll in it film in it i think uh i have one here that i use occasionally and and then at one point it's full and just go to the to the Photoshop and just say I want it developed and you you mm-hmm. don't know what you're gonna get back if the photos are any good or if it's just you know shite lighting.
0: That should be the gift. That should be the recommendation is get a one of those what is it? There's a camera, throwaway cameras. Tr- oh yeah, start with that. Start with throwaway Do that. camera. Yeah. And then make a whole bunch of pictures and then print them out and put them in a book. And then you have physical photos again. And then one day when you're all on dead. your
1: wall, like behind your oh, screen. Yeah. So you actually see something else just a wall. Yeah.
0: That's what I'm going to do. Get some throwaway cameras and make some actual pictures. I think that's a lost art. I think we take photos for granted.
1: Definitely. Now with the, with the, with the phone, it's just yeah. uh, take a picture, alternate, alter it a bit, send it out. And then you don't look at it anymore. Yeah, It's
0: gone. That's a shame. It's, I wonder if this maybe there, because but... we're old, and we sort of grew up and evolved into this. Whereas maybe kids nowadays, they have maybe like digital albums or something that they hold dear to them. Or
1: uh, that's that's a good question. You need to ask the previous to next generation on that one. Like, do you have any photo album that you revisit? Because that's it. Like with the book, you 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 grab it up, you 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 browse through it. And you see the photos, you get. Like, oh, that was a cool, cool holiday. Yeah. Or like, oh right, yeah, that was a cool event. That was an awesome party. Oh, right, what happened to your head right there? And like, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be that one photo that is like f- five frames before an accident. Yeah. And you, will, that probably will. Be, there are enough of those on the internet, but to have that on, on like physical. Yeah,
0: real photo life. Yeah, real it gives that, a bit more weight.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that was the podcast. Now I can round it off with the way I always end. And that's where I always ask you to donate your hard-earned money to my Patreon. Um, the Patreon is patreon.com slash jasons podcast. And if you have any feedback or would like to give me any recommendations for guests, um, yeah, you can email that to finding podcast at gmail.com. So that was the podcast. Why not? Thanks for being a guest.
1: any last words for having me um enjoy life i think that will be the last words yeah and buy all the
0: the next guerrilla games that are coming out all of them (laughs) everything yes definitely (laughs) also the old ones i mean they earn it yeah good games yes well thanks and um yeah hopefully we'll see everyone next week bye yes (laughs)